Well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life, as you just heard. Um, I was away with COVID last week. You know, we kind of forget that COVID's a thing until you catch it again. And then you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's why that guy was coughing near me. Uh, I thought we did really well to avoid it during my time away. Uh, you know, you fly internationally, you're on this little airplane next to a bunch of different people. And you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to catch COVID? But then you get it, you know, close to home, unfortunately. Um, we're in uh, week two of our sermon series, Listen. Okay, the sermon series is called Listen. And when you read God's word, God's voice is heard. And that means that the very words of God are on the pages that we read in the Bible. And we also hear God's word through some of the people that we're around. You know, we got to hear a little bit of it this morning uh, when we heard the words of the song or when Stella was leading us in prayer or talking about what the song even meant. Uh, we heard some of it from our presider today as well, John, um, as he was praying for us, as he was leading us through. We can truly hear God's word and we can truly hear God's voice uh, through some of the people around us. And even as we sing these words out together, uh, we speak God's words, we hear God's words from the people around us. Now we talked in uh, recent sermons about exiting the chaotic waters, and that's what uh, John alluded to a little bit. Listening to God's word, which warns us not to re-enter uh, these chaotic waters, because to re-enter them will be to enter back into slavery to sin. And today, as we listen to the warning to not return to sin's chaotic waters, let's take care to listen also to the voice of wisdom, which instructs us instead to offer ourselves, every part of ourselves, as slaves to righteousness. And so as we get into the word this morning, how about I pray for us, and we'll get straight into it. Father, we thank you as we gather together, as we do each week. And even as we prayed this morning during the pre-service prayer time, We don't want things to become just routine. We don't want this to become ritualistic, something thoughtless that we take part in each week. But we want it to to shake us to the very core. We want to be reminded that we hear your very voice speaking from the words on this page, and they're speaking words of life to our souls. We want to be shaken from our stupor. We want to be woken up from our sleep. We don't want to trivialize the sin in our lives. We don't want to just cheapen grace and say that everything's okay as we partake in our pet, our pet sins. But we want for everything to be made new in our hearts, God. We don't want that first love experience that we, have, we had with you once, but we want it to be something that deepens each year. We want it to be something that gets deeper and longer and wider. We want it, Lord, to really look like love that grows. So would you help us? Because our flesh is weak, and we want to love you. So would you help us this morning by taking these words and embedding them into our hearts. We want to ask you to take out whatever you need to from our hearts. Whatever desires reside in them, 
Take them from us so that we can desire you more. We want to love you. We want to commit ourselves to you. So help us to listen, give us ears to hear, and hearts to receive your word this morning. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Recently, I heard about a particular hiring agency for some deep-sea fishing vehicles. You know, I'm not much of a a fisherman, but I got a little bit interested in this kind of stuff. And they were talking about these deep-sea fishing vehicles, uh, uh, vessels, I should say, where we get a lot of the fish that we shop for in our our, uh, grocery stores. And this hiring agency, this particular one, was located in a bit of a strange place, I thought. They told me that it was located above a karaoke bar. Men and teenage boys are invited in to this karaoke bar and this hiring agency, and they're told that they're going to be able to make plenty of money to be able to support their families. Some of these men, some of these boys have families that are eight, nine, ten people deep. You know, they have a lot of siblings, a lot of people around them. The kind of people that are brought into these places are usually people from poor villages located far from the karaoke bar. They have no way to get there on their own, but they're usually brought in, smuggled into the country. You know, they're brought in on the back of a truck somewhere, and they're desperate for any type of work that's going to help them to provide for their families because they can't find any work in their poor villages. Never mind that they don't even speak, usually, the local language where they're headed because there's a universal language that speaks to all of them, money, and sometimes sex. They're told they're going to get both of these things. The karaoke bar where the men and boys, all migrants, are told to spend time, have fun in. It's full of women and girls, you know, younger than teenagers. All migrants trafficked into the country, and the men and boys, they're encouraged to enjoy themselves. Everything is available to you. Have some drinks, spend time with these women, To these guys from poorer villages, not speaking the language, this offer seems outrageously good. How can this possibly be? All this for free from their new employers, who are also promising that they're going to earn enough to feed the people back home. But there's no generosity on offer here. It's all a facade. It's all just smoke and mirrors, and it gets them hooked One worker on one of these ships, after he was rescued, revealed, when I woke up, the bedroom was shaking. I was already on the boat. For the next one to two months, we were at sea, and we would never see land. We could not do anything. Even if we wanted to flee, how would we do that? They had no money prior to working. They're trafficked into this new country with the promise of finding work, And then the traffickers will charge them for this privilege of getting into the country. Then the drinks that they had at the bar, the women that they slept with, everything that they thought was on the house puts them deeper and deeper into debt, which gives their masters leverage to keep them enslaved on the ship. You got to pay it all back before you can leave, they're told. They're bonded to their debt, and they're not allowed to leave until they're actually able to pay everything back but they're also being charged constantly from that point onwards for even being on the ship, for having room and board in these tiny little mattresses, for whatever meager meals that they're given to eat, 
And so they sink deeper and deeper until, the, until they're way down in the hole of debt. One worker, a young boy, responded to a journalist who asked him if he felt like he was making progress in paying back the debt. He gestured like he was trying to catch his shadow. And he said, catch, catch. You can never pay off your debt just like you can't catch your shadow. What does freedom look like to you? When we talk about freedom, what does it look like to you? You might feel like freedom is found in only being accountable to yourself and having no one control your actions, feeling like you're the master of your own life, able to decide on whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, and feeling no guilt, no shame, no regret at the end of it. But is this what Christian freedom looks like? Look with me at the first part of the passage there. What then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Sin is not freedom. The freedom we now have as people that are saved by grace, as Christians, should never be used to re-enter into sin. We don't look at it and say, I'm under grace now, I can do whatever I want. What the grace of the Lord Jesus does, it sets us free from the power of sin, meaning that we're free to do the will of God. This is what we come to. Whatever we obey in this life makes us into its slave. Whether this is sin or obedience. We're always either going to serve obedience, righteousness, and ultimately God, or we're going to serve sin. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral position that we can talk of. If we ever feel that we can only have freedom by doing whatever we want, whenever we want it, by not being obedient to God, well, we've freely entered into slavery to sin once again. And we call sin our Lord and our Master and our Savior. There have been times in my Christian life where I've seen people talk about accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and yet there's no change exhibited in their lives at all. Maybe you can relate to this. They continue on in engaging in whatever pet sin they love, except that they've got this mistaken, this brazen belief that they can keep being free to do it all because they've been saved from the consequences. That's not being touched. That's not being transformed by the grace of God. It's making an insurance payment. It's believing that we'll all be okay. And that's it. Either you're a slave to sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. It's a life transformed by grace and that shows in being filled with obedience or at least movement towards obedience as we reckon with our sinful hearts, as we're moved to mourning over our sin, grieving over the things that we take part in and wanting change which looks like specific and concrete submission to God's will for us in every part of our lives. We should all be headed in this direction, 
every single one of us, those of us who gather here together each week, we should all be headed in this direction. But this isn't the life that some of us enjoy. There are many of us who come together each week, who hear the same word as everyone else, who have received the same baptism, who say that new life is their home, their community, and yet, beneath the surface, you know, there's this tacit refusal to do the will of God. You want to be your own master. You want to just do your own thing. When push comes to shove, some of us don't want to be obedient to God and don't want to change at all. But his will for us is for us to be transformed day by day into the likeness of Jesus so that even if we stumble and we fall, what do we do? We turn, we confess, and we repent, and we run back to God. And the alternative as we read from the Apostle Paul here, is horrible hypocrisy. Paul is saying here that anyone who claims to be under grace and yet continues to live as a slave to sin, that claim is false. It's a lie that we believe in as evidenced by the way that we live. There's no way to understand grace apart from a life that's so changed that our daily lives change too. Everything about us, everything about our character, our desires, because it's not just about the forgiveness of our sins, but it's also about freeing us from this debt-bondedness to sin, from being mastered by our sin. We have a new master now, and it's God. To live otherwise would be like if we were those slaves at sea, and despite being rescued, despite the rescue were coming to us on another ship, we continue to live on that slave ship, eating whatever meager offerings they give us, refusing to leave, refusing to be set free. Now, if the reality of your salvation is to the point that you actually understand that analogy in your heart, then you'll know that your life of obedience to God is not superficial. You're glad to be obedient to God. You're willing and you're full of joy because you know what sort of life that you were saved from. It's to the point where you would put your hands on someone next to you and shake them to wake them up from their stupor, to get them to understand what you're talking about. You would give your life for this. You were saved from a life where you had no power to break away from this slavery to sin yourself. Since you were a slave to it, but God in his grace broke the chains of sin, and now you're able to make a very dignified human response of happy holiness, of glad obedience to him. Verse 19 reads, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. Why is this something that's so strong on Paul's heart and on God's heart? Because sometimes we're fooled into thinking 
that because we can't break away from this sin in our lives, this slavery to sin without God, that it's just some sort of coercion, that we get forced into sin, that sin or, or Satan forces us into enslavement, and that's just not the case. That's not how it works. People don't submit to sin against their will. We do it out of the overflow of our heart's desires. It's you, it's me. That's at the core of our sin. We choose sin. This means that even those who find themselves crushed and afflicted with addictions, they might find themselves wishing that they were free, but ultimately, at the heart of it, without Jesus, there will always remain something that brings them back. They will always remain slaves to these things, will always carry out the will of their true master because their desire for these things is at the end of the day greater than their desire to be set free. What you need if you're truly going to be set free are new desires. And this can only be given to us by God. Now you need to ask yourself, Do you want freedom from sin? Like, do you really want it? If no one else is around you, it's just you in the room, between you and God, do you want freedom from your sin or do you want to just keep going? Do you desire a life of holiness more than you desire a life of pretending to be in control of your own life? Do you want to desire Jesus more than you desire anything else? Because you can. If you ask Jesus, then you can be set free too. It's only because of the work that Jesus has done in setting us free that Paul can urge us here in verse 19 to offer the parts of ourselves as slaves to righteousness. Now, what does this mean? Have you ever actively offered the parts of yourself that were once enslaved to sin now as slaves to righteousness? If the syntax of this this sentence doesn't make sense to you, if this kind of thought doesn't really make sense to you, uh, there's a meaning behind this. A lot of the sin that people partake in is sexual in nature. And so the parts of ourselves that we're told to offer up are exactly those parts. Everything that we use to partake in these kinds of sexual sins or anything that we're addicted to, give them up as a living sacrifice. Make them into slaves to righteousness. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can remain as a slave to sin in these parts of yourself and be okay at the end of the day. Being a slave to righteousness is committing to a life of sanctification, to a lifetime of being made holy and purified. It's a life's work. It doesn't mean being the finished article the moment that you commit your life to Christ, but it's continuing to be changed throughout the rest of your life. If you've been at New Life, at least since I first joined as a pastor, you might recall I was gifted a very big potted plant. This isn't it. You know, this is a very small potted plant, but I was gifted a very big potted plant during the first service. Um, it was 
what people told me it was a rubber plant. It's very hard to kill. Well, we killed it, unfortunately. Bor and I, we're quite bad with plants, and unfortunately, um, we don't know where it is anymore. But I want to talk about this plant, though. On the right side, you can see the arrow that's pointing to it. Very small. It's like this big. This is a plant that we were gifted sometime in 2014 in Korea, not long after Bor and I got married, and. I just so happened to have a photo of it, you know, for whatever reason. I took this photo in June 2014. I was looking at the details, so it must be sometime around then that we received it, since clearly you can see it's still alive in this photo. You know, it hasn't died yet. By the time that we left Korea, about a year later, we were—I <laughs> mean, the plant was dead, and I don't have any photos of that because who takes photos of a dead plant, right? We got really busy with wrapping up our lives in Korea. Packing up, moving to Australia, the plant was just—it was dead. It was brown. You know what a dead plant looks like, and all the leaves had fallen off. It was just like a stick, you know, in a, a pot. And I just kind of forgot about it because it's on this little balcony area. If you've ever been to Korea, you know what I'm talking about. It's like where you hang the laundry, and I just forgot to throw it out. While I was moving out, I told my grandma that I had forgotten to throw out the plant, and this year. When we visited Korea, my grandma showed me this other plant that she had. This one right here in the middle, this giant one. This is much bigger than the rubber plant that you guys got me as well. And she said, "Do you remember that plant that you guys left when you moved to Australia?" And she showed us this. We're being regenerated. Living this life of being slave to righteousness, which results in sanctification, looks like this. It means that we're in the process of becoming more and more holy. We don't just become this overnight. We're in process. For eight years, my grandmother she worked hard to revive this plant, changing out the soil that it was planted in, the environment, and the nutrition. Some of us might have to do this when it comes to the friends that we're friends with, or the people that we're around. She pruned away the parts of it that were too far gone, sacrificing the parts that were dead, toiling day and night, hours in the morning, hours in the evening, and you see the result. I don't know how she did it. It was dead. Listen to what God is saying to you in this, in this word, in everything that you're hearing right now. Verses 20 to 23 read this: For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So, what fruit was produced then from the things that you were now, you're now ashamed of? The outcome of these things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, You have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to become this morning familiar with the fact that there is no third option when it comes to slavery. Either we're slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. That's it. There's nothing in between. Not only is slavery to sin ultimately unsatisfying, 
But we read here that re-entering the chaotic waters and being slave to sin, it's akin to entering into a debt that can't, can't be repaid. You can never repay this debt. And the only payment that we receive in return is death. And as we saw in week one, sin yields some communal consequences. The debt bond to sin means shame for the whole community. It can bring harm to others when you stumble them with your sin, when you tempt them into sin. And it will ultimately result in more than just physical death for the sinner. That's not what's being talked about here, physically dying. We know this because death is being talked about in contrast to the gift of eternal life in this passage. Meaning that death isn't as simple as death here on earth, but of eternal punishment and separation from the giver of life, Jesus himself. Eternal life is gifted to those who are united as one with the Lord Jesus Christ. To those united in his death and resurrection. Who can now live as a living sacrifice to him in this life. It's not on offer to those who remain slaves to sin. When you're way down in the hole of slavery to sin, you work and you work. You toil and you dig away. What do you have to show for it? Where do you end up? Ultimately, you just end up deeper in the hole. Your life comes to nothing and you're left unsatisfied. And then you die. Now, if you're a Christian here, let God's voice speak loud and clear to you. Living under grace is not an encouragement to sin. That's not how you show more and more grace in your life. If your life can still be described, can still be seen as enslavement to sin, there's clearly something wrong. Grace leads to a transformed life, full of real, tangible obedience in all of the different areas of your life. You give yourself to this. You stake your life on this. And if you're not a Christian here, let God's voice speak to you loud and clear as well. You can be set free. You can be set free from enslavement to sin. Next week, we're going to look at the true way to listen. How about we pray right now, though? Father, we don't want to be people that are here in body only and our minds and our hearts are elsewhere. We don't want to be people that desire other things, that have divided attention spans as our minds and our eyes just scroll through whatever is in front of us. But we want to be people with our eyes fully focused and trained upon you because you're the only one who can give us true freedom. Our desire is too weak 
we're enslaved to these things, we confess with our actions, with our lives, that we'd rather have the temporary and the fleeting happiness or the release of sin rather than the eternal joy and satisfaction that's on offer to us through living with you, Lord Jesus. ask us, Lord, to even want to desire you more, to confess with our lips that we want to be free. Would you help us to do this? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We believe, but we need our, your help with our unbelief. We need you to wipe clean unbelief from our hearts, to hollow out our dead, our stony hearts, to take them away, and to give us new hearts of flesh that beat in rhythm to the blood of Jesus. We want to cling to you and you alone. We want to know what it means to give our lives fully to you, We want to put our lives on it and say that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. We want the satisfaction, the fullness of life that these people talk about. We don't want to just hear about it, we want to live it. But we need you to move in this place. We need you to spark that faith in our hearts as we call out to you. But would you start that now by even helping us to raise our voices that we might call out to you. Move in us and help us, Lord, to cling to you, the only one who can rescue us from this bondage to sin, from this enslavement to the things that we call home. Because we now want to build a new home upon the firm foundation of the rock, Jesus Christ. Help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Young. Um, Can we stand?